0: It's good to see you guys. I still got that new back to church, you know, buzz going or whatever it is. Great to see you. Hey, we're in a series called Pray. And uh, prayer is such an important aspect of our lives. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we now have access to the living God. The scripture says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come even when we've messed up and sinned. We can come when we made the right decision and stood against sin. We can come into the presence of God anytime. So it's an amazing privilege we have. And sadly, in my own life, I guess maybe, I might guess in yours too at times, prayer can drop off from the radar. It can be something that we uh, neglect or don't do as much as we should. And I just know the season that we're in now, And I don't want to say prayer is more important at any one time than it is at another in our life. But the season that we're in now in our world, as a country, as a community, prayer is of utmost importance. If we're going to move out of the crisis we're in, if we're going to be restored as a people, as communities around this country and as a country as a whole, prayer is going to play a role. Because God is the only one who can bring us out of this and restore us to a right place. And so I know this season is in part for and to bring about restoration, revival in us. My wife works with a lady and she's got a 14-year-old boy and he came in this week. He said, Mom, this uh, virus thing, God is allowing this to happen to bring bring people back to himself. I thought, man, there's a little... There's a little insightful young man at 14 years old to recognize the things that happen in this world are not just physical. They're not just uh, in the natural world, but there's a spiritual meaning oftentimes to them. And I believe that firmly, that God is reviving his church, bringing people back to himself. And so there is a purpose in this, but we've got to move forward trusting him and seeking him. And so I've issued a challenge to our church to pray starting last Sunday for 40 days. To pray us forward, out of this situation. Praying for miracles, I'm praying that God would move in a powerful way. At the, at the end of the day, what I'm seeking is that we would return, right? Our hearts would return to him. And so uh, in this series called Pray, uh, obviously my prayer is that as a church and as a people, as individuals, our prayer life would be revived, be renewed and empowered and strengthened. The truth is we've all got to learn to pray more. We've got to develop a healthy prayer life. Isn't it interesting that it's called a prayer life? (laughs) That word is used because our prayer and when we pray and our interaction with God does take on a life of its own. It's so important and it literally does bring life into our bones, into our spirits, into our beings. And so we've got to learn to pray, and to pray more, and to pray more consistently, and pray more powerfully and more effectively. And this is a process. It is something that we need to grow, and develop, and learn in. We need to mature as followers of Jesus to understand the important role prayer plays, and how we need to be involved in it. Prayer is a lifeline to Almighty God, and as a church to be effective, as individuals to be effective, to see God at work in our homes in our workplaces, in our communities. We've got to be connected to our source of power and strength, to the all-living, almighty God. The word pray is mentioned 436 times in the Bible. Obviously very, very important. And simply stated, prayer is talking to God. It's interacting with God. Prayer is most powerful, the Bible says, when our uh, loyalty and allegiance is 100% directed to God. That is when our prayers are most powerful, okay? And so James, the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James, James chapter 1 verse 6 says this regarding our prayers. says, But when you ask him, referring to when you ask God, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty as is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. He's saying, listen, your, your loyalty should not be divided between the world and God. Make sure that your loyalty is 100% with God. Then when you pray, your prayers are going to be powerful and effective. Last week, we looked at when we pray, how prayer works, that we pray to the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. We examined from the Scriptures how uh, it is because of the work of Jesus that we can talk to God, that we have access to Him as sinful human beings. So through Jesus, uh, the Son of God, who came to the earth, who walked this earth, who revealed God to us as a human race, who went to the cross, who suffered, bled, and died, who was buried in a tomb, who rose again on the third day, paying the price for our sin as a human race, and conquering sin and death by raising from the dead, proving he had the power to pay for our sin, right? It is through his sacrifice and his work that we can have access to the throne room of God. If you don't know God personally, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, then when you pray, you're kind of like lobbing prayers out into the universe, out into the sky, and you're hoping somehow that they get through, but you don't know that they will. Can I tell you this? You can pray with confidence. You can pray knowing that the God who created you, who made the universe, who is revealed to us in the scriptures, who was revealed to us through the life of Jesus, that you can know he hears your prayers with absolute certainty. I don't care if it feels like it or not. Listen, we all go through seasons where it doesn't feel like our prayers are getting through. But our feelings, fortunately, do not dictate whether or not our prayers are getting through. Because when we are in Christ, and we're praying to the Father, the Holy Spirit ensures our prayers get to him. So this is powerful. We need to grow in it. We need to foster it and develop this powerful prayer life. And so we're in a series called Pray, and we're looking at how to grow in this attribute, in this practice that's so important for our lives. Today, we're going to look at the uh, uh, this topic of prayer blockers, things that can hinder or block our prayers. Now listen, I just said that if you're in Christ, you can be sure your prayers are getting to the Father, and you can. However, the Scriptures also teach us that when we allow sin into our lives, unconfessed, undealt with, when we're not repenting from sin, moving away from sin on a consistent basis, fighting against it in our lives, that it becomes a blocker between us and our relationship with the Father. And so it is true. And so for that reason, as I've looked at this message, as this came together as God gave me the the things to say and to focus on, I had to come to grips with the fact that this message is going to be a little tough that uh, it's been tough for me to deal with this week. And so it is probably going to be tough for you. But I've got to bring this message because we don't get to a powerful prayer life if we don't walk through this topic, if we don't deal with this issue. The truth is our relationship to God is affected by our sin. There's no way around it. You cannot have a strong, effective, powerful connection to God, a sense of walking and living in the Spirit, if you have unconfessed, undealt with sin in your life. I know that those things can creep up on us. And all of a sudden we get busy with life and we're trying to get through and we have these issues we haven't dealt with and we don't deal with them and we just keep going, keep going. And all of a sudden we realize, man, I just don't feel as connected to God. I'm not sensing his presence. I don't see his work in my life. I've shifted and I've moved. And so I know this can happen. And so today is all about bringing us back. It's about reconnecting us, searching our hearts and souls, looking deep inside of us to see if there's something that needs to be dealt with. That is what blocks our prayers. And so let's look at three different issues, three different things that can block our prayers or affect our connection to God. The first one has to do with this, that God has created order in the world. Disorder and chaos comes from the enemy. Order comes from God. And so God has created institutions, we call them, organizational systems that are to bring order to the world. The first one he created, which I've been around many young people who think this is an institution that man made up, and that is marriage. I talk to many young people who think marriage is a human institution, just man-made. No, actually God started it and initiated it, it come from him, and uh, it's there for a reason. Because all society, all of humanity is built on the family. And so it's required that it's a serious institution, a a piece of society that holds it together. So important. And so God initiated that. We also have governmental um, organization, which God also has put in place. We have uh, churches which have order and organization to them. And so the world is created this way, and God has put this in place for a reason. Well, in order for us to function inside of that dynamic, to work inside of the systems and structures that God has initiated in the world, we've got to act in a correct way. Otherwise, we will get out of uh, out of sync and things will move towards chaos rather than moving towards order. And so God has given us some teaching on how to handle relationships with others and how to look at those who perhaps we are under authority to or that we have to relate to. There's a lot in the Bible about relationships how to live together, how to to interact, how to treat one another. And so it's so important that we deal with this. And so the first prayer blocker that I want to look at today is when we, one of the things that can block our prayers is when we live in such a way that we are showing dishonor. Showing dishonor to those around us, to those who are in authority over us. In the the book of 1 Peter, the apostle says, Uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, addresses the issue, uh, issues related to families. So he deals with this institution, this system, this structure that God has put in place called marriage. And he gives instructions, first of all, to wives. And he talks to them about how they are to relate to their husband. The order and organization that God's put in place. But specifically, when he moves on later in the chapter here, and he deals with husbands in in relation to their wives, this is where he specifically touches on this issue of our prayers being hindered. This is what he says, First Peter chapter 3, follow along, it says this, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. So he said that to wives, right? You must give honor to your husbands, show them honor. So he said the same thing, you've got to show honor to your wives, treat your wife, with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's great uh, gift of new life. Treat her as you should. So what? So your prayers will not be hindered. Show honor to your wife. Husbands, be kind. Be gentle. Love your wife. Treat her with care. She's a precious gift to you from God. And so treat her The right way. Love her and care for her. Be gentle. Don't overpower her. Don't be harsh. Don't crush her spirit, but be kind and considerate. This relationship, Peter says, is essential to your connection to God. If you're treating this relationship, by the way, it goes both ways wives, if you're treating the relationship with dishonor, you're not living in a manner that God has commanded and directed, right? Then, then on both sides, this can affect our prayers. In fact, I want to take it beyond that and say that if we're acting in a if we're practicing or showing dishonor in our world, in the directions that God has given us uh, commands to act honorably that we can affect and block and discourage our prayers from getting through. This is how it works. Because when we act, when we treat those in authority, those in relationship to us, when we treat them with dishonor, we are living in such a way that it's opposition to what God wants. And so we're going to hurt our relationship with him. Our spirits, our hearts are not walking with God in a way that he has directed us, in sync with him, so that we are living in a heart attitude that he wants us to. And this is how it affects our prayer life. This is why we don't have that same connection. Who is it that you are, uh, you are in relationship to that maybe is in authority over you, that's in a position that God has called you to honor? Um, Mary and I, uh, I think I've shared this with you guys, but we spent some time <clears throat> way back when we were younger in McCook, Nebraska, and I was a youth pastor. And during that season, we spent about three years uh, at a church in McCook. We had uh, just an amazing youth group, and we got to know a group of, of teenagers that were just uh, just amazing. I mean, we have relationships with some of them still today. And uh, our first year there, there were a couple of seniors that we got to know really well, David and Don. And David and Don were both leaders. They were passionate about the Lord. And so we got to know them. We spent a bit of time with them and just invested in their lives. Well, David and Don fell in love and got married. And as they went through life, David uh, uh, went in training to become a pastor, and he serves in a ministry, and just an amazing couple. Well, uh, a few years ago, we saw, um, because we're connected with them on Facebook, they shared that Dawn had been diagnosed with ALS. And uh, of course, this was very traumatic, and they they just weren't sure how it was going to go. As you know, there's there's not a cure for that, and so they knew that they were looking at a struggle, but they didn't know how it would go. And they have uh, some young kids, and well, it didn't take a year, and Dawn passed away. And so, really tough time. We went to her funeral in Carney, and we're just with them and the family. Uh, and I sat down at the meal after the service, and I sat down next to Dawn's uh, older or younger brother, Doug. And Doug's just uh, an amazing man of God, uh, just, a, uh, just an awesome person. And so, we were talking a little bit, catching up. And, and I said, Man, I'm sorry for this season. It had to be so difficult, and, you know, um, And he said, yeah, you know, uh, it's kind of weird. He said, this was so hard for my sister. You know, watching her suffer and go through this, and it happened so quick, and it was just so hard to process and deal with. But he said, I'll tell you what, if I could have picked a guy to um, to walk with my sister through this season, I would have picked David. When you get to the end and people are standing over your casket, That's the kind of things you want them to say. That you did the exceptional thing. You lived above the par. That you did and lived up to what God asked you to do, right? That's what we want. I want to encourage you that we can live that way. We have the Holy Spirit within us. When we walk with God and we're connected to him, and and we're living in such a way that we're in obedience to him. Our prayers are power and, powerful and effective. That lifeline is strong, and it gives us the strength to do what only God can do in and through us. Some directions, some relationships we're called to show honor to. I'm going to give you some scripture to look at because you may have some struggles. If you think showing honor is always easy, it's not. Showing honor is about Obedience to God. It's not about uh, reacting to a person and their personality and their character. It's about honoring God and being obedient to Him. Um, Psalm 29 2 talks about how we are to honor God. Uh, We're to honor our parents, our father and mother. We see that in the Ten Commandments. Also in Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3, talks about how we're to honor our father and mother. We're to honor our spouse, husbands to wives, wives to husbands. This talk about in Ephesians chapter 5, and also in 1 Peter 3, the passage we're in now. Uh, We're to honor those relationships, show honor to each other. Um, How about your employer or your boss? That's a direction, that's a relationship. We're called and commanded to show honor towards. You can find that in Ephesians 6. Information on that. If you get to the book of Ephesians, you can find a lot of these, right? Uh, The Apostle Paul deals with this issue and these types of relationships in that book. How about pastors or elders, church leaders? In 1 Timothy 5, we're told to show honor to those who God has called who carry that responsibility. Listen, we're called to show honor. Fortunately, God doesn't put the same level of expectation on us for all of our relationships. There was a Sunday school teacher teaching her class of uh, five and six-year-olds uh, uh, the scriptures, and she taught them through the Ten Commandments. And she went through the, pa- uh, the commandment of honor your father and mother. And so she taught them that, and then she said, listen, does the Bible say anywhere, does it give us uh, any direction about how we're to treat our, um, our siblings, how we're to act to our brothers and sisters, and a little boy shot his hand up right away, and he said, yeah, there's that commandment that says, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> yeah, listen, uh, some of those relationships can be tough. I was talking to a parent last night, and he was sharing how it's uh, tough, this whole quarantine thing, and having his kids at home, and his wife, man, it's hard, and you know, they just, it seems like they just fight all day, because uh, they're just, you know, stuck inside, and I said, man, when I was growing up, my brother and I fought all day, and we didn't have a Virus quarantine issue to, you know, use it as an excuse. So I get it. Like, it's hard. There's just seasons of life that are tough, um, and this is one of them. Some exceptional challenges that we, we work with and get through, but we are called to show honor. Exceptional ways to show honor. You know, what David did with Dawn was, was amazing. It was, and a, a very difficult thing to walk through, but I've got a story for you. I think sometimes we find examples that just almost seem like they couldn't be true because of what they express, the type of uh, interaction, the way someone steps up and honors a person because of obedience to Christ. There's a story told of a woman who had a husband who was an alcoholic, and he spent a lot of his time at the bar with his friends uh, drinking to excess. And one night, uh, this husband was at the bar drinking with his friends, and he said, listen, guys, you'll never believe this, but I'm going to tell you it's true. Um, I could, we could go home to my home right now. It's about midnight. We could go home. I could wake my wife up. She's a Christian woman. And I could say, uh, uh, honey, you need to fix us something to eat. We're hungry. And I guarantee you she would get up and she would fix us food and serve it to us without even complaining. And these guys said, there's no way that's true. There's no way. She might shoot you with her shotgun, but she's not going to get up and do that. And so it, he said, fine, let's, I'll prove it to you. And so they walked home and they got there. And sure enough, he went in, woke her up. Honey, we need some food. My friends and I are here. We're hungry. And sure enough, she got up out of bed, she went down, fixed him a meal, served it to him like she'd been expecting him all day. One of the guys that came with the husband afterwards, he went to her and he said, man, how in the world did you do that, treat us that way, knowing that you disagree with what we're doing and we put so much expectation on you, just unfair? How in the world did you react that way? And this was her reply. She said, sir, when my husband and I were married, we were both sinners. It has pleased God to call me out of that dangerous condition. My husband continues in it. I tremble for his future state. Were he to die as he is, he will be miserable for all eternity. So I think it my duty to render his present existence as comfortable as possible. Okay. That seems crazy. Maybe that is just a preacher story. I don't know. I found it. Listen, maybe it did real happen. But here's my thing. The point is this, that when we follow God, when we live in the Spirit, when we're walking in obedience, and our lives are connected to God in a powerful way because we're, we're dealing with the sin in our lives, none of us are getting to perfection, but we're working to become holy and to live like God, and we're dealing ruthlessly with sin. Guys, things like this are possible. We can step out of the norm, what everyone does, and we can do what only someone who has God in them can do. It leads us to live the exceptional life, to do the things that seem impossible. When we try in our flesh to be obedient to God, we fall short, we get frustrated. Many people have set out to be a Christian only to say this is impossible, you can't do this. And the answer to that is, that's correct. Because living holy is not possible as sinful human beings. We need the power of God at work in us. This is the only way we can do it. And the only way we experience the power of God in our lives, effective power of God in our lives, is when our prayer life is consistent, is strong, when the open line of communication to God is there because we're dealing with and we're resisting and we're pushing away the sin in our lives becomes so important. Who is it in your life that you might need to show honor to that you have not been showing honor to? Who is it that God has put around you as a challenge? Someone that bothers you, irritates you, treats you disrespect, and you've got to step up. And God's saying to you, listen, I want you to show honor to them because they hold a position that I value, that I have placed them in. i placed it in society for a reason. I need you as my follower to step up and do the exceptional thing, to do what's right. Well, there's another prayer blocker. Another reason that our prayers can get blocked oftentimes is because we pray with wrong motives. We pray with wrong motives. James chapter four, starting in verse one, says this. James chapter four. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, But you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get what you ask, or you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate and that, this, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives, grace, uh, he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for, loyal, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. This is a reaction we're to have to sin in our lives. And sometimes that sin is our motives are wrong. Our motivation, why we do what we do, why we care about the things that we care about. Guys, when we act out of selfish motives, when we allow ourselves to live this life selfishly, self-motivated, do you know that we are accomplishing and fulfilling the will of the devil rather than the will of God? Because the devil's interest is that you would be selfish. He's not worried that you would worship him. He wants you to worship yourself. He wants you to be self-consumed, self-aware, only worried about what you need and what you want and things being done your way. That's his interest because then you're completely distracted and off base from paying attention to God and what He wants. And listen, we can all run into this. We all do, at times, run into motives that are not correct. Sometimes, we struggle because we say we care for the right reasons. We say or we give the impression that we do. We're good Christian people, and we know we shouldn't be self-motivated, and so we try to do the right things, and yet... Underneath the surface, what's really driving us is our self centeredness and our self awareness. There was a guy that worked in an office and uh, he had a great team of coworkers around him. Well, his wife got pregnant and he shared it with them. And as the time came closer to his wife having the baby, closer to delivery date, his coworkers would come around, it seemed like every day. They would come around and say, Hey, how's it going? How's your wife doing? Any news from the doctor? Everything's still okay? And he was like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Thanks for asking. Man, what great coworkers I have. These guys are amazing. They really care about me. What he didn't know is there was an office pool with a bet placed on when the delivery date would be. So everybody cared because they wanted to win the pot. Okay, listen, we can make it look good. We can make it look good. We can come across the right way. But as Christians, we struggle with this too. Selfish ambition or desires can get a hold of us. Praying for things that we want so that our lustful desires are fulfilled. You guys know what that's like. Man, there's that thing you wanted, that toy, that car, that whatever. You prayed for it, you wanted it, finally you got it, and for about two minutes you were happy, and then you moved on to the next thing, because all of a sudden, well, I got that. It doesn't make me happy anymore. It doesn't fulfill. Listen, the truth is we can appreciate the things in this life, but that only comes as we fall in love first with God and we keep him as our top priority. And then Jesus promises that he came to give us life and give it in his fullest sense. We can experience and enjoy the things in this life, but only if we have our priorities straight, if we have our motives in check. What is it that's motivating you? Listen, as a pastor, I planted a church, and I wanted to see that church grow. I wanted to see it successful. I wanted to see it reach lots of people. And, uh, and I, said, I said great things like I just want to see people come to know Jesus and I want to see people grow in their relationship with God and I want to see this thing work and make a difference in the city, right, or uh, wherever. And so this is what I said, it's what I believed. But as things didn't work the way I wanted them to, as I thought they should, in order to see those things uh, become a reality, I began to have to wrestle with the fact that my true motives were not the motives I was saying. My true motives were selfish. I wanted to see that church grow and work so that I was a successful pastor, so that I looked good to others, so that I felt like I had done something important. And it was a difficult process. It was painful to have that ripped, to discover what my true motives were and have to go deep into my heart and spirit and deal with God, confess my sin, and come through that. Listen, uh, it is not a fun thing to go through that process, but I promise you, any of us, are capable of that little shift. The little shift from what do I want, what do I want, to what does God want? We can make that move, and it can seem so important. I want to ask you a tough question. I'll meddle a little bit. I'm your pastor. What's your motive when you come into church, when you come here on Sundays? What's your motive? What is it that's motivating you to want the service to look like you want it to look like, have the music what you want it to be, have the presentation the way you want it? What's the motivation that you have? Is it to see God glorified and worshiped? To see people come in, whether they're new or whether they've been here a long time, and be able to worship God and, and connect to him, sing praises to him, hear, hear the word, and be able to connect to God and be able to move into obedience? Is that your motive, or is it to have things the way you want them? To have the music the way you want it? Listen, uh, I'd have the preaching the way you want it that's never gonna happen, no, just kidding, just kidding, hey, listen, um, but this is a serious issue, I know it's a little touchy, but it's true, and guys, listen, I've had to do this, I grew up singing hymns, and uh, the Bible college I went to, I sat on the front row and sang hymns with all my heart, loved them, but we went through an era, you guys know about it, it was called the worship wars, that's a great term for the church, worship wars, and we battled over whether or not we were gonna go to choruses, right, And there were some that said choruses are shallow and they don't really, that's all uh, me-centered and you know there's all this stuff. But the truth is, what helped me make the shift is that I was leading a youth group and I saw these kids that were in my youth group connecting to God through these choruses. And so I taught myself a couple on my guitar that I didn't know how to play very good and I said, I'm gonna make sure these kids connect to God in a meaningful way. Listen, if your motives are right and your heart's right, it can help an awful lot with things that can get under our skin, can bother us a little bit. And I know critiques are fair. I'm a pastor. I critique every sermon I hear. It's very hard for me to turn that off, okay? I know what it's like. Sometimes I gotta fight with myself just to say, shut up, brain, and listen to God. (laughs) Don't sit there and critique how the pastor's doing it, you know? I can't help it. It's just part of who I am. It's tough to turn off, so I get that. But here's here's my encouragement to you, is that when we come in, if there's something, a small thing that can become a distraction that takes my focus off God and being there to hear from him and worship him, the joy at seeing new families coming into the church, which they are, and connecting to God, that's happening here. Praise God. That's what we want to see, right? And so when I see that, if there's a little thing that can irritate me and get me off, distract me, all of a sudden that's all I can think about, I think, guys, I would just ask you, consider Where's your heart really at? Where are your motives really at? Are you coming in with really a desire? Listen, I know we all want to worship God. I'm not, I'm not making an indictment. I'm just asking a question. I've had to do this. I've been through the painful process. The attitude that we should have as we go to life, as we serve God, as we serve with our lives, if we, if we give our lives to Jesus, here's the attitude that we should have in relation to the success, to the things that we see happen, good or bad. There's an old song by Andre Crouch that I think expresses powerfully how we should feel, how we should look at our lives, the accomplishments that we have. It says this, how can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things he has done. With his blood, he has saved me. With his power, he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Just let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. And if I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. As we live our lives, as we seek God, We can discover, we're going to constantly battle this, what our motives are. Is this our heart? Is our prayer that God, whatever happens to me, whatever success or failure, whatever good or bad, whatever I might accomplish with my life, it belongs to you. Anything that's good should point people to you. It amazes me that there's a restaurant in our country that makes chicken sandwiches, and they're known as the Christian Chicken Sandwich Place. They're known for that. Everybody knows that Chick-fil-A is a Christian company. Seems like everyone knows it. The world knows it. Church knows it. Everyone, they joke about it. You know, it's the Jesus chicken, right? I mean, it's hilarious, but here's the thing. No matter what you do, you can make sure you're pointing the credit to God, that you're pointing people to him. It's a good example. It's a challenging one. One of the evidences that our hearts can make that shift to being off track, one of the evidences of that that we can see in our lives that can show us and reveal to us that maybe our heart is shifted away from God, we're not walking with him where we should be, is when we have lingering unforgiveness in our hearts. Sometimes we don't realize it. You know, I'm the kind of guy that uh, something happens, somebody does me wrong, man, I just move on. I don't really, that's no big deal, man. Just get over it, move on. And uh, that's the way I live my life. Uh, I was having a conversation with my brother-in-law when I was out of college. Uh, I was living on the farm um, out around Sargent, Nebraska, and we were talking about basketball, and we had both played basketball at the Bible college we went to. And so when I was in college, I played there. Well, we're talking about it. For some reason, it came up. You know, you're working together all day, irrigating, whatever. We're talking, fencing. So we're talking, and basketball comes up, and all of a sudden, the name of one of the guys on the team comes up. And I want to tell you that instantly I just got hot I started saying really harsh things about this dude I was like got through that I stopped I was like what is going on I didn't think I had an issue with him (laughs) I didn't think there was a problem there but because it came up I realized there was an issue then I had to go to work and deal with it say God how am I going to handle this I got to forgive this guy and let it go you know Man, sometimes we don't realize that these issues are there, but lingering unforgiveness can have a serious effect on our walk with Jesus, on our prayer life, on our connection to God. This is what Jesus said Mark chapter 11. Jesus, talking here, Mark 11, starting in verse 22. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But if you, uh, But you must really believe it will happen, And have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. You can pray in confidence. You can talk to God. You can ask him for anything. He's going to do it. Verse 25. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Unforgiveness can block our prayers. Because our relationship to other people affects our relationship to God. You can't live in discord with with lasting grudges and anger and resentment towards another person and have a healthy relationship with God. You cannot do it. That's why Jesus said, it is a command that you forgive. You've got to forgive someone else. Why? So that God will forgive your sins. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I thought if I put my trust in Jesus, my sins were forgiven once and for all. Jesus died once and for all. If I put my trust in him, they're gone. Okay, yeah, but here's the truth of it. Salvation has three different aspects. It has justification, it has sanctification, and it has glorification. And in order to understand the scriptures, when salvation's talked about and forgiveness of sins, i got to understand how salvation works. When I put my trust in Jesus, I'm justified, made right, my sins have been paid for. I am seen by God in and through the blood of Jesus. His payment for my sins took care of it. But then I move into the aspect of my salvation called sanctification. That is where I'm working to become holy, where I'm uh, allowing God to work in my life so that I can be changed and transformed. Salvation is not just a ticket into heaven. <laughs> it's a ticket to live for Jesus and to walk with him from now throughout all of eternity. And so when Jesus says, if you don't forgive someone else, your sins won't be forgiven, it is within that context of talking to God on a daily basis, walking with him. And my sanctification process is gonna be stopped or slowed down if I have unforgiveness towards another person. Can't walk in that, I can't live in it. Now, as hard as it is to deal with forgiveness, it's hard to go ask for it, it's hard to give it, And I'm not preaching this lightly because I understand. I struggle with it myself. This is hard. Some of the issues in life that repeat themselves become incredibly difficult. And forgiveness is not a light, flippant thing. And I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you that it's got to be dealt with. We've got to dig in and figure it out. We've got to find a place to walk in health and wholeness with the people around us. If we walk without reconciliation it damages us. It damages our relationship with God. This is what Jesus went on to say. Matthew chapter five, another passage on the um, Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching uh, to the folks around him and he talks to them about this idea of uh, when you're guilty of murder and hatred and he gets into it. If you call someone a fool or an idiot, man, the older I get, the more people I want to say that about. It's not good. Okay, I got to stop. The scripture Jesus said, don't do it. (sighs) Why do you just get grumpy? I, I feel like I get grumpier the older I get, man. What is that? I need some help from some of you that are doing it graciously. I struggle. Here's the truth, that we are called into this. We've got to keep a right attitude towards others. Jesus said, listen, if you're walking this way, you're guilty of something severe, okay? And in verse 23 of Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew chapter five, he says this, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person. Jesus says, listen, if you're going to him and you're going to offer a sacrifice, which is for the forgiveness of your sins, and you recognize you have a broken relationship somewhere, put down your sacrifice and go deal with it. Then come back and you can worship God. This forgiveness thing is a big deal. And believe me, it's hard. It's tough, as I've said. It's difficult, and yet we've absolutely got to do it. If we're to walk in a healthy relationship with God, if we're to experience a powerful prayer life, we've got to do this business. You know the famous interaction between the apostle Peter and Jesus, where Peter said, hey Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? He was looking for the a boy for saying seven times. That's a lot. Jesus said, no, actually, Peter, you should forgive them 70 times seven. I'm not a math major. I think that's 490. How many of you have forgiven somebody 490 times? I know my wife always raises her hand when I ask that question. Um, so, yeah, if you've been married a while, you probably have. Um, but, but not many of us have forgiven somebody that many times. And the point is, Jesus wasn't making a point to put it on a number. He was saying, listen, you should have a well that is endless supply of forgiveness that you're able to give to others, that you're willing to give to others. This is important. We've got to learn to walk in this way. If we refuse to forgive someone, we're hurting them perhaps a little bit, but we're damaging ourselves as well. Uh, there was a little boy sitting out on a park bench. He looked like he was in pain. And there was a man that walked by. He said, son, what's wrong? You look like you're hurting. He said, well, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. The man said, well, get up. Get off the bumblebee. And he said, well, I figure this. Right now, I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. Sometimes that's how we approach this. I got to make them. I got to make sure they understand what they did. I got to make sure they don't do it again. It's got to stop. Listen, I understand forgiveness is complex. I'm not sitting here saying that you've got to forgive everyone every time and without any requirements, without any boundaries, without any dealing with issues. Look, I'm not saying that. But I'm still saying, Jesus said, we've got to get to the place where we're dealing with this. Do you know any recovery program, whether it's a 12-step program, whether it's celebrate recovery, there's an important step that you always come to. In some recovery programs, it's number four. In others, it's a little bit further down the list. But it's called making amends. You can't live at peace in this world, in sobriety, without dealing with relationships. That step is oftentimes the step that people jump out of the process of getting sober. Because they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to engage that. It's painful. It's hard. Guys, we don't get to a place of peace and health in our lives. Walking with Jesus our prayer lives being powerful if we don't deal with forgiveness. And guys, the truth is, our churches need to be filled with this behavior. The world around us needs to see that God's people handle these things differently than the rest of the world. That we don't hold on to the bitterness and anger and grudges forever. That we don't go on forever sitting next to somebody in the same church, in the same uh, seats, that we, uh, that we disdain, that we uh, are anger and bitter towards, and we have been for the last 20 years. That can't happen in God's church. Do you know how many people I talk to? I meet people all the time and throughout my life, and they, they go, yeah, you're a pastor. Oh, you know the church. I, I don't worship in the church. You know, I, I'm out in nature. That's where I got, you know, I just, things happen in the church. I grew up around it, and I saw stuff, and it just turned me off, and so I just walked away. You know how many times I see that? And listen, I don't, ex- we're not perfect. I know that, and I tell them that. <laughs> the church is full of people that need Jesus, and we know it, but the truth is that we need to be known for following Jesus, for doing what the rest of the world can't do. Guys, if if somebody wants to go to a a group of people, an organization, where everybody's fighting and clamoring to get to the top and to be in a position of power and and significance, where there's cliques and where there's all these, they can find that anywhere in the world. The church is supposed to be a place where those things are pushed away. Listen, we're gonna naturally have those things happen, but we're fighting against them because we know that the power of God needs to be at work in our church. We need to be an example to others of what God can do. We need to take those steps that are exceptional, that are not what ordinary people do. And then people say, Listen, you guys are different. I see something there, I see God at work. And it draws people in. This whole issue is so important that when it happens, when things are dealt with, guys, the the floodgates are open. The work of the Holy Spirit floods a church, and amazing things can happen. There's an old evangelist that's passed away now. His name was Doctor John Rice. You look on YouTube, you can find some of his sermons. He's an old Southern gentleman, got a real good Southern accent, real powerful preacher. But he was asked one time to go to a, a town of Woodbine, Texas, and do a series of uh, revival meetings. And so he went there, and um, the church that he went to was a, just a little country church, and it was divided. Uh, this church was split down the middle, and there was so much conflict there that people had vowed never to come back, and, and the whole community knew about it. It had affected everything. There were deacons in the church that had um, you know, gotten into fistfights over issues, and uh, Dr. Woodbine came in there, or Dr. Rice came in there, and he was never really able to discover all of the issues, but he just saw the division. The pastor in the church had gotten discouraged and left. There was a local country missionary, and he had brought Dr. Rice in to preach these revivals in, in hopes that the church could be healed and be restored. Well, the uh, pastor began to preach, and uh, he began to talk about sin and deal with sin issues and call the people to reconciliation to each other and to deal with sin in their lives. And uh, the people that were mad at each other, all of a sudden, after he preached a couple times, they got mad at him. Because he was meddling in their life and they're like, man, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And so the division and the conflict just continued. Night after night, people came to the meetings and, and, uh, and they rejected what he had to say. One morning, there was a woman in the church who was going to make a phone call to uh, the pastor, to Dr. Rice, and, and tell him to just buzz off, to quit meddling in their problems and get out of there. And she was so frustrated. Just about the time she was going to make the phone call, her 19-year-old son walked in the door and he heard what she was going to do and he said, Mom, you're wrong. He said, I've just been out in the woods praying, talking to God, and Dr. Rice is right. He's preaching us the truth. We need to change. We need to deal with these issues and work towards restoration. And he said, I, for one, am going to move in that direction. Well, the mother didn't make the phone call. That night at the revival meeting, Dr. Rice um, called for a time of testimony. With tears streaming down her face, one woman rose to beg forgiveness of another woman who she had been quarreling with. The other woman swiftly rose. They came together to meet, put their arms around each other, began to weep, working for forgiveness and repentance. Confessions started to come from all over the building, and a deep sense of God moving was upon the people. They began to make restitution. They began to fix relationships and bring restoration. News of this spread around the town, and the next day, The the building was filled, dozens of people came that had vowed never to go back because they saw the work of God. And when the pastor began to preach and call for salvation, many, many responded. He was there for four weeks preaching in that church, and restoration happened. The power of God came back to that church. It was restored, and it was effective as a lighthouse, as a place where God is at work. Listen, we don't have a big problem with this. I'm not preaching because I think we're in some kind of mess with this. I just know these are things that can block our prayers. They're issues that we constantly need to be aware of and dealing with and working on. There may be something that you've been wrestling with for years that you need to root out and get rid of, There may be something that you just happened yesterday. There may be a a conflict that you just found, a, a little irritation, somebody you need to show honor to. There may be some motive that you need to check. Listen, I just know we need to work this. We need to work to resist and to deal with and to root out sin in our lives so that we can have a connection to God that's powerful and effective so that the work of God can be seen among us so that the world around us knows that we belong to Jesus, that we're different If you're struggling with some of these, with unforgiveness, honor, having right motives, I've got some resources for you. There's a book called The Gift of Forgiveness by Charles Stanley. Great book, powerful book on forgiveness. Uh, Forgiveness is not easy. It's not a small topic, and so it deserves a little more study and work. So get that book, dig into it. uh, It'll help you discover what God wants you to see in that arena. There's uh, a devotional by Craig Groeschel, who uh, is at Life Church called, um, it's on uh, honor, showing honor and those relationships we need to show honor to. Faith Gateway is the website. I put it on our Bible app, the actual link, so you can find that. You could probably search uh, Google and find it. That's a great resource, just a devotional on showing honor in our world. Having Right Motives. There's a book called Having Right Motives, Why I Do the Things I Do, and that's by Edward Welch, W-E-L-C-H. Those are some resources. Look, guys, these things aren't easy. I know that. Sin is never easy to deal with. But I know this, and I believe this. Your heart is to see God move in your life. It's to be connected to God in the right way. It's to see him move through you and through this church, in this community, in this region. And so let's deal with this stuff. Let's dig into it and see if God would show us something that we need to address. I know he will, and I know he'll restore us and keep us in that place of a right relationship with him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your call into our lives. Thank you for your spirit that you put within us. Thank you for touching us, convicting us, bringing things to mind that we need to change. Father, constantly working in us to keep us moving towards you, keep us connected to you. God, we wanna pray for those in our church, in our region struggling. This is a difficult time. God, it's thrown all of us off balance. And yet I know that you want to bring us closer to you through this. You want to use us to show the world around us who you are. God, I pray that you would continue to press on us, move in us, work in us, so that we will reflect you. Make our prayer life strong and effective. God, we are going to come to you asking you to move in this season to begin to move us as a country back to restoration, bringing us out of this crisis. God, restore us. I pray against this virus, Father. I pray that you would eliminate it and that we would be brought to a place of healing and wholeness. God, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for loving us, for blessing us, for taking care of us, for protecting us, for being present with us. We give you all the praise and the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.